Welcome to Philanthropy Today, a podcast about the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. Together, we'll learn about the goals of the GMCF and the work of its staff, board members, and trustees. You'll hear about the GMCF's affiliate partners throughout North Central Kansas, and we'll also explore the efforts of area nonprofit agencies, their staff, and volunteers. Now, here's your host of Philanthropy Today, Dave Lewis. Emily Wagner is the Executive Director of the Manhattan Emergency Shelter. Emily, thanks for joining us on Philanthropy Today. Thanks for having me, Dave. Well, bring us up to date on what's happening at the Manhattan Emergency Shelter. Yeah, we are gearing up for our 18th annual Bag Lady Auction. That is coming up quick. And on June 24th, uh, 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. at St. Thomas More Catholic Church. This has been running for a while now. It has. It has. It's actually 20 years. We just uh, we didn't get to do the last two because of COVID. So we're we're still on the 18th annual, but uh, it's a great event, and I, I really think people look forward to it every year, and I'm, I'm really excited to get to do an in-person event this year. Without being able to do it for a couple of years, do you have an excess inventory of bags to auction off? Um, not an excess inventory. Um, we actually, we haven't done a whole lot of... Um, additional bag collections in the last couple weeks because mm-hmm. we do have quite a bit so uh so we're doing good we'll have a lot of a uh, selection there for people to look at okay well we'll talk about the bag auction here and in, in a little bit but but let's talk a little bit about what's happening at the shelter itself i know you keep busy you have quite a few that come in through on a daily and a weekly basis we do we we are busy um we look at serving about 400 people a year just in our shelter, wow. uh, the physical shelter. So our rooms are staying full, and uh, it's been interesting with all the you know illness and stuff in the community, just trying to keep people distance. And uh, we've been very lucky we haven't had outbreaks or anything at the shelter. So that just takes up a lot of our time, um, kind of watching and monitoring that and making sure that we're doing things properly. But uh, otherwise, we're full. What's a typical length of stay for a guest? Yeah, the length of stay for us, just, it really depends. Typically, it's about 45 days, but that um, also counts in our families and that number and our transients. So transients can only stay for two days, okay. and those are people just traveling through, okay. stopping and traveling through. We uh, we are not a free hotel, and we try to be um, studious with our funds that we get from the community, and so we give those individuals two hours or two days, and they can move on. Our families stay, I would say, usually. We're looking at two and a half to three months, and that is a new thing being that long, but it's because we can't find housing and we can't find jobs to pay for the housing. Um, everything is so expensive. And What are some of the particular reasons that uh, some of your guests may be staying at the emergency mm-hmm. shelter? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's for so many reasons, I think, um, that people just don't realize some of us could just be one step away from that. We see a lot of divorce or breakup, couples breaking up. And the individuals can't afford two different households at that point. And so one of the adults will check in. Um, we see that a lot. We see a lot of just losing jobs, losing uh, cars breaking down and losing their, their jobs, and a lot of mental illness and a lot of drug and alcohol abuse. Now, this is different from, say, the crisis center because those are delicate situations different than some of the ones that you're talking about. Yes. So the crisis center does... Uh, response to domestic violence incidents. We will do that because we are open 24 hours a day, but we work in conjunction with the crisis center. So at any point someone tells us that they are a domestic violence victim, we call the crisis center and an advocate comes over and talks with them. And we all discuss what the best appropriate shelter would be. 
their safe shelter or ours. Um, and, and we make that decision with the clients. Um, they will still have an advocate through the crisis center if they stay with us. But it's, it's just a great partnership and, and just allows more people to kind of be on that individual's team to get them I would imagine home. there are a number of agencies that you are in partnerships with. We are. You know, I, I always tell people it's uh, working at the shelter has been great because we, we have to learn all of the resources in town. Anything our clients need, we're referring to and we're, we're partnering with. We don't have, um, you know, just a, a niche where we're just processing IDs and, you know, at the DMV. We're, you know, we're doing all of this. We're not just doing a vision card or food stamps. Uh, we're sending our clients to get all of those resources. So our staff has to be very fluent. I know the that community. there's always seemingly some sort of collective efforts to, to collect some sort of supplies, whether it be, you know, just household cleaning type things or, or things of a personal nature. Yes, we rely on the community for those things, those donated items. So we we look for personal hygiene items. We really need the full sized um, personal hygiene items, so full size shampoo, full size conditioner, um, full size lotions, and body wash. And that's just because our clients are there for a little bit longer than you would be in a hotel, and so those little samples don't go very far. We do use the samples though with our transient clients, and we give them out to other agencies that need them and, and clients who want them. So we love having the personal hygiene products donated to us because I do not have a budget to go and purchase those things. Um, we also get a lot of donations of paper products, cleaning supplies, uh, and clothing. Clothing, we will take just what we can hold there at the shelter. We don't have a good way to facilitate that and people to try things on and get them back to us and make sure it's all sanitary. So um, we then give referrals to other agency partners for those vouchers for our clients. Salvation Army, the Fit Closet, Grand Old Trunk, those places will give vouchers for our clients. I think that's one of the neat things about working um, in conjunction with other agencies in the community is the, the kind of partnerships that you develop because, you know, then you got more eyes. Not only not only do you satisfy some of the needs, but you got more eyes uh, on the people that are in, you know, delicate situations. Yes, yes. This is a great community and, and we have such a great social support, um, social service support network. All of the directors are great. We work with each other. It's not territorial. Um, gosh, we even work with each other on grants. We're collaborating in grants. Um, so it's it's really a neat community to be part of. I'm on a lot of state committees, and when I'm talking to my um, partners and, and those other agencies around the state, they just don't have the collaboration and the support from their city. So we're, we're very fortunate. How difficult was it to do your job during the pandemic? It was difficult just to make sure we were doing the right thing, I think, in the beginning, because there was, there was just a lot of guidance coming out. Um, congregate settings, so the shelter as a congregate setting had some of the strictest guidelines. And so just working to, to make sure we were following all of those, and, and if we were to be inspected, we, you know, we didn't want to be shut down because we weren't following the right protocol. So we followed those to a T. Um, I think what got difficult and, and dicey is when we could not get supplies. We couldn't get the PPE stuff that we needed because our, our orders were being canceled online. Uh, we couldn't get COVID tests. And there was a point where we were testing everyone and staff every day because we had had some exposure from volunteers. So um, that just got very frustrating and made it difficult because I felt like I wasn't 
um, able to properly, you know, just support my staff in that way. Uh, but we were very fortunate. Actually, the community foundation came through for us and they had some supplies for us. United Way was a huge support and they got us supplies. Um, the fire department also has some cleaner and things for us. So we were able to make do until our orders came in. Are you still utilizing masks and, we are. and all kinds of other, other supplies mm-hmm. like that? We are, um, Right now, the masks are just optional right now in the shelter, but with things on the uptick again, um, I have a couple staff that are voluntarily wearing masks, and there's a few clients that want to as well, and we're, we're totally fine with that. I've not gone back to a mask mandate, but um, and hopefully I don't have to, but it, it could come to that in the future. We still have all of our um, our hand sanitizer stations up, our cleaning protocols in place. Uh, we have special cleaner that cleans the virus within, I think, 10 seconds. So um, I think we're doing good there uh, as long as we just don't have another huge surge. You know, we've did got pan- supplies. Did the pandemic give you challenges with regards to your staff as well? Yeah, our staff, gosh, our staff were just rock stars. So we had we had a couple different issues with staff in COVID. One, my night staff are college students primarily. And so when campus then shut down and things went online, um, I was very worried we were going to lose all of our night staff and not be able to stay open. But we had a couple night staff that moved back home. They took weekend shifts and they drove from Wichita to take a full weekend shift so that we didn't lose them and and we could keep the shelter running. Um, So just scheduling was difficult. And then when when my staff had an exposure or were on quarantine, you know, trying to find ways to make up for it and, and keep the doors open. So, um, you know, we got through it and it, and it worked. We did, um, we we also had to raise our salaries just to stay competitive, mm-hmm. I guess, with, with everyone else. And so that is a good thing that came out of it and needed to happen. Um, but it just, it makes it scary for budgeting a little bit. Yeah. We'll talk about the financial side of it here in just a few moments. Uh, We're visiting today on Philanthropy Today with Emily Wagner, who is the Executive Director of the Manhattan Emergency Shelter. You've got a a wonderful facility uh, there on 4th Street across from the Hilton Garden Inn. I know a few years ago you had a little uh, water issue, and that was a a big challenge, but that sin has since has been, I guess, fixed, and you're back operating on, on, on full with all everything Ready to roll. Ready to roll. Yeah, you know, in 2018 we had that uh, water damage to the to the building and had to shut down for a while, and that was a nightmare. I don't ever want to have to go through that again. All of our clients were put in hotels, uh, but we still have a have the case management requirement with our our clients, and so we were sending case managers to do that in the, all those hotels. We were taking food. We you know were monitoring. We had curfews, and so that was really difficult. But it it, it worked well. Um, the hotels were great that worked with us. So yeah, I don't ever want to do that again. We finally were back up and, and operational and, and housing clients again in 2019 or the very end of 2018. Um, and so we, we only had a year and a half really until then COVID ha- hit. And then we were we paused for a bit again, just trying to figure out what we were going to do um, and how to combat this because we didn't want to close down. Uh, we didn't want to have to put everybody in hotels. That makes it very difficult to work with them. And so we're fortunate that we were able to keep our doors open. Yeah, keeping the doors open, that means a lot of money rolls through. And there's a lot of different sources to keep you afloat at the Manhattan Emergency Shelter. Tell us how you're financed. Sure. So we write about 13 to 15 grants a year to keep our doors open. Uh, We get funding from the city of Manhattan, Riley County, um, United Way. We get some drug and alcohol tax money. And then we write for some large um, 
federal grants as well, and some com community foundation grants. Uh, we we really have a pretty diverse funding source um, list, so I, I do that on purpose just because we can't afford to lose grant funding. Um, but if I at least spread it out a little bit, you know, it gives me some time to figure it out, I guess, if we were to lose some grant funds. But, um, you know, this community is great. We're still tasked with raising about $150,000 a year uh, from fund fundraising and contributions, and that is getting more and more difficult in the community. Um, you know, we used to hit that goal pretty easily, and I've noticed in the last couple years, um, especially with COVID, I think things are just tight. People are tight. Um, so I'm excited to, to do this event. We haven't had an event just to see, you know, how, how – works this year after COVID and is everybody really ready to get out and start donating again or are you know are we still not going to see that big turnout so it is refreshing to see people gathering and it's empowering also especially yes. when they all come together for a good cause like your bag lady auction coming up on uh, June 24th so you've got the bags ready to go and tell us tell us what the night looks like we do. We have the bags ready to go. So what the night looks like really is everyone gets there at 530. And gosh, I feel like the night goes by so fast, but it's a lot of mingling. Um, there's drinks involved and food involved. Um, and everyone just kind of mingles, I would say, and chats around all the silent auction items, uh, placing their bids on those. And then uh, we have a, a live auction at the end of the evening with uh, an auctioneer. And, and that just is really fun. By that time of the night, everyone's um, having fun and they've already been um, bidding on their bags and, and looking at all the live auctions. So sometimes we get into some uh, bidding wars and that's always fun, makes for a fun, entertaining night. So um and hopefully, everyone gets to walk away with some sort of a bag that they've purchased. How do you go about collecting the bags for the auction? We beg. You <laughs> no, beg? We, beg we, for bags. <laughs> we beg for bags. We, uh, no, we ask. Um, a lot of our long-term donors, um, we have several women who have donated to this event. Uh, every year, they donate a bag to us. And so we have a pretty good list that we can go back to um, to get those bags donated. And uh, we have... We have really good variety this year, so I'm excited to, to see how the bags do. Lots of styles, lots of colors. Lots of styles, lots of colors. There's some, you know, some strange bags, some vintage bags, um, a lot of just fun bags. And so it, it is always interesting to see what some of the, um, I would call them more eclectic um, looking bags go for. Might not be my cup of tea, but gosh, one year we had a chicken purse. It was made out chicken of a rubber purse. chicken. And you would never, I don't know why, I, I would not carry that around. But um, there was a bidding war and people really wanted that chicken bag. So uh, so we'll see. We have, um, we have one this year with dogs on it. Um, I think we have a couple. So we'll, we'll see how those go. What's the most unique one you found? Is it the chicken purse? I would say probably the chicken purse. Um, we do have, we have a really unique Kate Spade this year. Um, I don't want to give away too much. We might feature a little, some pictures on our Facebook. Okay. Um, but, uh, but it's a black purse from Kate Spade, but it's, it's really unique and um, interesting. And like I said, we've got this, we've got a couple dog bags, our purses um, with dogs embroidered on them. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Um, we'll see. But definitely in the, in the past, it's been that chicken purse. Do you have some that are handmade? Other than maybe the chicken purse was handmade by someone who... I don't, you know, I don't know if that was handmade or not. <laughs> you would think it would have to have been. Um, we do have a few handmade purses. 
a, a couple satchels, smaller satchels, and then we have some handmade wallets that were donated as well. Mm -hmm. Do you get new bags donated? Yes. Yep. So they're they're mainly new bags. That's um, anything on the the silent auction will have uh, a description on it, and it'll tell you if it's new or if it's used. But we have a whole used section. Um, up on the stage uh, at St. Thomas More. And so if people are interested in doing the, the used bags, we have several of those. Um, but for the most part, unless it's vintage, it's it's going to be new on your silent auction. How many bags will you have altogether? Mm -hmm. We shoot for 130 or so, and I think we've got 120 logged. We're still logging them this morning. That's what we were doing. We have to log them and name them, um, try to keep it all organized. And so I think the girls were up to about 120 so we have, a, and we we do have a few more coming in. We're waiting. Uh, we've got some certificates coming to us as well. So um, I'm, I'm hoping we'll hit that 130 mark. And that helps a lot with your bottom line, doesn't it? It helps a lot. This money, this uh, fundraising money is so important to us and, and all agencies. And it's getting harder and harder to fundraise in this community. I, I say that every year and it is true. Um, so this money just plugs in the holes. It, it allows me to use it where I need to. Um, I know I've said keeping our doors open many times, but it, it, it does help us keep our doors open. Most of our grant funds are all programmatic, and so they go to a specific program um, with number client numbers attached, you know, and that's hard to do with things like insurance and your light bills. Um, so we need to use this money for those things. Mm -hmm. Well, let's uh, get down to the ticket side of things. How does one go about uh, getting involved in the Bag Lady sure. Auction? Um, call us. So you can call us at 785-537-3113. And that'll get our the shelter office. Just tell them you're interested in purchasing a ticket or a table of tickets for Bag Lady. Uh, tickets right now are $60 an individual, and they're $450 for a table of eight. Um, and we're just doing tables of eight. So if you do have a couple of friends that want to get together, we can make sure that we sit you all at the same table. You just need to specify that when you call. Or, and uh, you can also go online and purchase tickets through our PayPal um, on our website as well. And that is Mesi, M-E-S-I, and then Kansas, all spelled out, dot org. Okay. Well, it sounds like it's a lot of fun. It is. I'm, I'm actually, I'm really looking forward to it this year. I'm just looking forward to having an event in person yeah. and, and getting things back on track. Emily, thanks for joining us here, and uh, good luck with your Bag Lady auction on the 24th. Thank you, Dave. Keep up with Philanthropy Today by following or subscribing to our podcast on your favorite apps. To learn more about the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation, visit our website at mcfks.org. Philanthropy Today is produced by Ad AdAstraCast. Follow us online at astracast.com.